Traders Point, how are we doing today? That is so good to hear. Hey, just want to take a moment to welcome uh, everybody at all of our campuses. Um, love all of our campuses equally, but special shout out to our downtown campus. That's my home. That's my family. Um, everybody tuning in online, we're so glad that you are with us. Hey, if you are just joining us right now, I had the privilege of wrapping up a, ser a sermon series that we're in called Significant Other. And what we've just been doing is we have been walking through what God's Word has to say about relationships. And I don't know about you, but I've been deeply impacted by this series. Man, it has challenged me in some ways that I've needed. And it has provoked some really um, great conversations, I would say, both at home and also within uh, the church with a few people here. And uh, what we have really just been acknowledging is that there is this reality, I think we all can agree, that uh, some of the best and most rewarding aspects of life have to do with relationships. And in the very same breath, I think we all could agree that some of the most challenging and painful things about life have to do with relationships. And on the surface, it may seem like, how can those two things coexist? That seems a little contradictory. Um, how can something that has the potential to be so life-giving also have the potential to be so hurtful and cause so much destruction. It almost seems like a paradox. But what we've been uh, seeing is that um, it's all rooted in the creation story. That back in Genesis, in chapters 1 through 3, um, God created Adam and Eve, and he created them to live in union together. He created them to have this beautiful fellowship, both with him and with one another. Um, and it was beautiful. It was perfect. Uh, until chapter 3 happens and sin enters the world and things go really south really fast. And it breeds this pride and uh, selfishness and self-preservation begins to happen, causing a rift between um, their relationship. And uh, today, pride and selfishness and self-preservation still cause us to have these conflicts within our relationship. It's just kind of the natural byproduct of who we are. But thanks to Jesus, Jesus has come to both redeem and reclaim that brokenness that exists. And we can find hope in him in all of our relationships, whether that's in marriage or whether it's dating or our sexuality, no matter what it is, all of our relationships are impacted both by um, the results of the fall, but also by the redemption that is available in Jesus. And so I think all of these types of relationships are important, whether that's marriage or dating. But today I want us to focus on a particular type of relationship, one that I think is so essential both to our well-being but also just to our growth as people and especially our spiritual growth. And that is friendship. Friendship. And I think you all would agree that um, friendships deeply impact us in some tremendous ways. And I want you to, to think back in your life over some of the most, the most memorable moments that you've had. The, the milestones, the, the celebrations, the trouble that you got into growing up, the trouble that you still get into today as an adult, it likely included a friend. Friendships are extremely valuable. And I couldn't help but think of some of TV's most notable friendships, friendships over the years that have made us both laugh as well as cry. My mind got to, to running and I came up with a, a list of just a, a few of them. Um, Golden Girls. Come on, any Golden Girls people in here? Blanche, Dorothy, all the crew. Friends, right? Classic. Ross, Joey, Chandler, Phoebe, Monica, Rachel. Gotta love them. One of my favorites, A Different World, man. What y'all know about A Different World? Ron, Whitley, Dwayne Wayne. 
Classic. I love it. And I know I probably lost Gen Z up to this point. They're like, you, I'm not trekking with you. Hold with me. I got you. Stranger Things. Come on. <laughs> Dustin, Will, Lucas, Mike. Man, talk about getting into some trouble. These guys right here. I don't even got to say it. Dwight, <laughs> Dwight Schrute and, uh, and Michael Scott, man. Arguably one of the funniest friendships that exists. One of my favorites, can't leave this out, Martin, man. What y'all know about Martin? Pam, Gina, Tommy Cole, Marty Marr. Martin gave me permission as a kid to kick my friends out whenever they made me mad. I was just like, get out. No, but I think it's, it's, it's obvious that our uh, society, it values friendships. It values uh, what friendships uh, bring into our lives. It values all of the elements of friendship. And that's because God made us this way. He, he made us to be in connection with one another. And God even points to that in his word over and over again. We see these valuable friendships that exist all throughout scripture. Friendships like Naomi and Ruth. Uh, Paul has this friendship with uh, Silas and, and Timothy and, and Barnabas. Aaron and Moses. And then even Jesus with his 12 disciples, but particularly with his, his inner three, uh, Peter, James, and John. Man, the Bible is replete with, with friendships. But today I want us to focus on a particular friendship, one that you may or may not be familiar with. And it's the story uh, and the friendship of David and Jonathan. And it can be found in 1 Samuel chapter 18. So if you have a Bible or a device with a Bible on it, go ahead and turn to 1 Samuel in, in the Old Testament. But before we get there in chapter 18, uh, I kind of have to catch us up to what's been going on up to this point. Um, so Jonathan is the oldest son of King Saul. And Jonathan is this incredible warrior. He is probably in his mid-20s during this time. Many of us are familiar with who David is. Even if you didn't grow up in church, you uh, have likely heard of his famous slaying of, of Goliath. And David and Jonathan actually meet shortly after David has just taken down Goliath. In fact, in the chapter 17, right before this, it says David kills Goliath and then Saul calls over to David and he wants to actually have a conversation with him. He's like, who is this, this young boy? Bring him to me so we can have a conversation. And the scripture says that David comes to Saul still holding the chopped off head of David, of, of Goliath in his hand. And they left that part out of Sunday school growing up, but I think that's, <laughs> that is so dope that David just walks up still holding the head of Goliath in his hand. So they have this conversation, he and King Saul, and then right after that, he meets King Saul's son, Jonathan. And that's where we're going to pick up in chapter 18, starting in verse 1. Let's look at what it says. It says, after David had finished talking with Saul, still holding Goliath's head, uh, he met Jonathan, the king's son. There was an immediate bond between them, for Jonathan loved David. From that day on, Saul kept David with him and wouldn't let him return home. And then look at this. And Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as he loved himself. Jonathan sealed the pact by taking off his robe and giving it to David together with his tunic, sword, bow, and belt. And I want us to put a pin in that. Hold on to it because we're going to re revisit that last um, verse here in a little bit. But I think there's a lot here in these, these few verses that we're really just going to highlight and lift out of the text and see how we can apply them to our lives because they have the potential to really speak into how we should navigate our friendships. And the first thing that we see is that there was this, like, there was this immediate bond between them. That's what the scripture says, that the first thing that happens is that they form this type of, of connection. Some translations say that they were actually like one in spirit. 
And we don't know what particularly caused them to connect or have this immediate bond, uh, but something did. And actually on the surface, there wasn't, there wasn't too many things that, that really united them. Like there weren't a lot of similarities between them. So I think that's what is funny about this. Uh, David comes from like the rural countryside and Jonathan is, is a city boy. Uh, David, uh, he is the youngest of his brothers. Jonathan is the oldest of, of, of his brothers. David had never experienced battle or war prior to killing Goliath. Jonathan was like Rambo. I mean, he was an incredible warrior, and he once killed like 20 people by himself with just him and his sidekick. And so we don't know what commonality they had, but there was something, something that caused them to look at one another and say, hey, like, we can, we can be friends. I think the same thing happens to us today. Like once we like unite with somebody and we find out that we have some kind of, of similarity, there's something there that says, hey, like we could, we could possibly develop a, a relationship here. Actually, author and theologian C.S. Lewis, who we referred to a couple of times throughout this series, he talks about what it's like to initiate this type of friendship. Look at what he says. He says, the typical expression of opening friendship would be something like, what, you two? I thought I was the only one. It is when two such persons discover one another, when, with, whether with immense difficulties and semi-articulate fumblings or with what would seem to us amazing and elliptical speed, they share their vision. It is then that friendship is born and instantly they stand together in an immense solitude. It's almost like that scene from um, Step Brothers. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Where like Dale and ben, Brendan have been having this beef up to this point and then they find out they have some similar interests. And they're like, did we just become best friends? Yep. <laughs> do you want to go do karate in the garage? Yep. <laughs> now, Lewis says there's something that we find with somebody where we just have this, this bond with them and, and it unites us, whether it's a similar interest, whether it's a shared experience of some sort, uh, whether we have some kind of commonality, something unites us. And I think that that is so uh, imperative for us to know, whether it's through sports or fitness or faith, there's something that tethers us together with somebody else. And I think on the surface, it seems like relatively simple, right? It seems like uh, that shouldn't be so hard. But have you ever tried making friends as an adult? It's not, it's not easy. It's so complicated. We make it so complex. I think when, when we're kids, it seems like it's, it's so easy. It's like you're on the playground and you find somebody else and you're like, hey, you got on a red shirt just like me. You want to be friends? Great. Come over. Let's play video games. As adults, man, we make it way more complicated than what it needs to be. Uh, I found this um, example of what it's like to make adults as friends, and I think it's so true. One, say, we should hang. Do not hang. Six months later, say, we should hang. Schedule time to hang. Cancel. Respect their cancellation. Reschedule. Actually hang. Say, we should do this more often. Number 10, die. I feel like this is my wife. Every time we try to get together with friends, there's always something coming up. Sick kids, busy schedules, you name it. Sometimes we just blank on the fact that we made other plans with somebody else. And it's like, how do we tell these people that we can't hang with them anymore? It's awkward. Um, but we have this tendency to put some of the most valuable things that we need in life, including friendships, on the back burner. But let me say, just because it's complicated doesn't mean that we abandon the pursuit of cultivating deep meaningful friendship that God wants us to have. And here's why. Friendship fulfills our desire to belong. 
If you're taking notes, write that down. Friendship fulfills our desire to belong. And all of us have this desire, whether we want to admit it or not. And God wants us to experience the richness of having friends to share our lives with. But there's also this enemy who does not want that to happen. There's an enemy who wants to isolate us and get us alone and feel the, the results of, of loneliness and, and depression and keep us from, from making these intimate and deep friendships. And he wants us to actually look for things outside of friendship in order to fulfill this need so that he can really just turn up the dial on the loneliness and the depression. And I think it's interesting that although we live in a world that is more connected than it's ever been, our world is also more lonely than it has ever been before. Um, in his book called uh, The Wisdom Pyramid, uh, which I highly recommend, The Wisdom Pyramid by author uh, Brett McCracken, he talks about the effects and the presence of loneliness. And just look at what he says um, as a result of that. He says, loneliness has the same impact on mortality, listen to this, as smoking 15 cigarettes a day, making it even more dangerous than obesity, and is increasingly regarded as a public health crisis by governments around the world. He would go on to say, Generation Z are living their lives through their phones and they are not happier. With lives characterized by ever-present screen time, texting and social media, Gen Z has subsequently been defined by rising rates of depression, loneliness, anxiety, sleepiness, sleeplessness, and suicidal ideation. And I would argue that this isn't just applicable to Gen Z. I think all of us have felt the effects of that, especially in the last two years. In fact, U.S. Surgeon General Dr. Vivek Murthy recently said, our country is experiencing an epidemic of loneliness, driven by the accelerated pace of life and the spread of technology into all of our social interactions. With this acceleration, listen, efficiency and convenience have edged out the time-consuming messiness of real relationships. Guys, Satan is having a field day with this. He uses our pride and our busyness and the illusion of self-sufficiency to keep us from creating these bonds that are meant to be life-giving and mirror our relationship with God. And maybe you might be sitting there, sitting there thinking, you know, not me, uh, Kyle, that, that doesn't really apply to me. I, I have friends, man, that is, that's great. But based on the numbers, somebody either near you, next to you, or around you is feeling the effects of what I just described. And I think we have to look past the surface level acquaintances and the, the social media followers that we're so prone to, to cling to in our day. And we have to look for something a lot deeper, something that God has always meant for us to have. People we can truly confide in and, and experience the hardships and pain of life with. And I think David and Jonathan knew exactly that they knew exactly that they needed this as well, which is why they didn't just say, hey, let's be friends, and they left it at that. They did something meaningful, something to really solidify that. Look at what it says again in, in verse 3. It says, and Jonathan made a solemn pact with David. And we don't know all the details of what this pact actually looked like. We don't know if they took some verbal vows or if they, like, cut open their palms and shook hands like blood brothers, like, ah. But they did something, something tangible, something that was going to anchor them in their commitment towards one another, something that would remind them that they were friends and so that wouldn't just say, stay ethereal, wouldn't just stay surface level. And it's almost like they knew that their friendship was going to be tested at some point in their life. And man, would it be tested. You know, I, I think uh, if you continue to, to read on in, in the story, you would see that David starts to um, gain this fame and this notoriety as he becomes this, this prominent warrior. 
And, and Jonathan's dad, Saul, is not here for it, man. He is like, I am not about this up-and-coming rising star, and I'm going to do everything I can to, to take him out. Uh, and in verse 14, it said, David continued to succeed in everything he did, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul recognized this, he became even more afraid of him. And Saul's fear would uh, end up turning into anger and jealousy and, and bitterness, so much so that he hunts David down and he pursues him in the wilderness, chasing him from town to town. And he even tries to get his son Jonathan to assassinate David. And keep in mind, up to this point, David has actually been appointed by God to be the next king after Saul. And so while Jonathan probably has every right being, you know, the rightly next king in line because he's the oldest son of Saul, he should have been the next king. He had every right to be jealous and bitter and allow that to cause a rift in their relationship, but he doesn't. In fact, he runs to David during his most meaningful and most lowest uh, times of need, and he actually is an incredible friend. Look at what it says in, in verse 23. As David is in the wilderness running from Saul, Jonathan comes to him in an incredible moment of need. It says, one day near Horish, David received the news that Saul was on the way to Ziph to search for him and kill him. Jonathan went to find David and encouraged him to stay strong in his faith in God. Man, I love that. He says, don't be afraid. My father will never find you. You're going to be the king of Israel and I will be next to you. As my father Saul is well aware and then look at this. It says the two of them renewed their solemn pact before the Lord. And here what we see is there's this element of like constancy and, and loyalty that should exist within friendships. But more than that, I love how Jonathan man, encourages David in his faith and he even challenges him throughout their friendship. Which leads me to my next point if you are taking notes. Friendship requires encouragement, it requires challenge, and it requires commitment. And here what we're going to do is we're going to break down each one of those three elements, encouragement, challenge, and commitment, because they are so crucial to life-giving, God-centered friendships. I'm going to start with encouragement. And the scriptures say that Jonathan went to find David and encouraged him to stay strong in his faith in God. Man, encouragement is so powerful. Man, it fuels our soul, especially when it comes from somebody close to us who we love and who we trust. Proverbs 27.9 says, The heartfelt counsel of a friend is as sweet as perfume and incense. Man, when I have a friend who says, Kyle, man, I believe in you. Kyle, I, I, I love you. Kyle, I, I am for you, man. I am with you. Kyle, I am encouraging you in your walk with Jesus, man. Keep going. It is so life-giving, especially to someone like me, who's one of my top love languages is, is words of affirmation. Man, I, I just eat it up and I, and I need it. But I'm actually on the other side of trying to, to be this friend. I'm actually trying to, to become more encouraging. I don't know about you, but, man, that's not one of my, my strengths. It doesn't really come easy to me, but I'm having to work at it. Um, I have a friend who uh, every, like, once a month, we get together at 6 a.m., and, and we get breakfast together, and we just have these really meaningful conversations. We check in on each other. How you doing? How's marriage? How's your walk with Jesus? And, uh, man, and within the past year, it has just really blossomed into something, something that I didn't even know that I needed. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, I am in Costco, and he just, uh, he calls me, he FaceTimes me out of nowhere, and he's just like, hey, man, I just need, I just need an ear right now. I'm struggling, life is hard, and I just need you to, to be there. And I wasn't trying to fix it, I wasn't trying to do anything to, to solve the problem, I was just there, and I was present with him. And we ended up scheduling 
uh, dinner together, and we got together, ate dinner, man. We talked for like just over three hours about life and what we are experiencing right now. And I left dinner, and I felt like there were some things that God wanted me to say that I didn't say during our time together. And I normally could have just kind of brushed it off or say, I'll pray for him when I get home. But something nudged me to actually just pick up the phone, and I sent him like a voice memo, a voice text. I just said, hey, man, I know life is really hard right now. But I want you to know, man, you are an incredible father. You are an amazing husband. Man, you are a great brother to me. And we don't do this enough, especially as men, especially as, as black men. Man, I want you to know that I have your back, that I am with you, that I admire your walk with Jesus. You inspire me. And I just told him, hey, man, keep, keep going. And I think we, we need to do that more within our, our friendships, man. I know I need that. When he has done that for me, it has been some of the most life-giving, encouraging words that I have ever received. And I need these words to keep on going in my walk with Jesus as a father, as a husband, just as a person living life. Because we cannot, we cannot minimize the power that our words have, especially when it comes uh, to honoring and, and being uh, spirit-led in the way that we encourage our friends. The second thing that we uh, have to do within our relationships, within our friendships, is we have to challenge. We have to challenge. Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. And, uh, man, I hear that, that proverb a lot. I've even seen, like, the first half of it on, uh, in, like, gyms, like, on the walls plastered up there, like, iron sharpens iron. Urgh. Like, we're going to get after it together. We're going to push each other. And I think that's great, but I think there's something that's more to, to that proverb. Um, I don't know, have you ever seen iron being sharpened? I'm not a blacksmith. I know it's hard to believe, looking up here. Um, but, I, but I've seen it done before. When iron is sharpened, there's sparks flying. There's, uh, there's heat and there's fire and there's like clashing and there's banging with these little hammer thingamabobs that I don't know, what you, mallets, is that what they, I, I don't know. <laughs> What's my point? When it comes to relationships, challenge is painful. It's painful. It's, it's, it's hard. It means that we have, to, we have to have some hard but crucial conversations. We have to have the relational equity to give our friends permission to speak into areas of our life, even if we don't want it, but we know that we need it. We have to be able to say, hey, hey I don't think that's a, that's a wise decision to make. Hey, man, I, I don't think the post that you made on social media is, is the best representation of Jesus. Man, would you can consider either taking that down or, or rephrasing the way that you said that? Let's talk through that. We got to be able to say, hey, 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 sis, like, I see that you're starting to become really close with that person who's not your husband. And I love you, and I don't want your husband or your family to get hurt. Let's talk about this. We got to be able to say, hey, hey, bro, man. I know that you gave into temptation last week. And please know that there is grace available for you. But I'm challenging you and I'm praying that you would not give in this week. Let's walk in this hand-to-hand. -hand. If you're tempted this week, pick up the phone and call me. We got to be able to challenge our friends in our relationships. And it's because we love them. Because we love our friends, we challenge them not from a place of, of superiority, but from a place of, hey, I'm a fellow sinner walking this life out with you. Let's do it hand in hand. And I want to help you look more like Jesus. The third thing is, is commitment. And we'll talk through this real quickly. Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend is always loyal. 
and a brother is born to help in time of need. Man, it's this idea that no matter what happens, I'm not going anywhere. I'm devoted to this friendship, and we have to see it flourish together, man. We have to stay constant. We have to stay committed to this friendship. And I think this is probably the toughest one of them all. I think this is where we struggle the most. And I personally know the pain of having friendships either deteriorate or friendships that didn't last. And maybe you can relate. And maybe the reason that you are either checked out or you haven't really been listening and it's hard for you to hear what I'm saying is because you are thinking in the back of your mind, man, Kyle, I had that. I had what you are talking about. At least I thought I did. At least I thought I had that type of friendship. And maybe you are wounded over the friendship that no longer exists. Maybe there was a season of your life where you thought that they were loyal, but somewhere along the way, they stopped returning the text. They stopped reaching out. They said some mean and hurtful things to you or talked about you, uh, about you behind your back. Or maybe life just caused you guys to go your separate directions. And you're wounded by the friendship that is no longer there. And if you're honest, it has hardened your heart and you've built walls around it. And you are rejecting the idea of letting anyone get close to you again. Because you're like, I don't need that again. I don't need that pain. I don't need that hurt. And let me just say, I hear you. And I understand. Can I just propose to you, though, that today may be the day that God is asking you to just fully surrender and and forgive so that your heart can become tender again. And so that you can experience the rich love that is needed in relationships. Man, some of us have experienced some deep friendship wounds that have made us bitter and cynical and closed off. I know because I'm the one that gets the emails. I get the prayer requests. I get the counseling sessions where there's just been some relational trauma, even from friendships that have caused some, some deep wounds. And you're hurting and you're lonely. But let me just tell you, God wants to heal that because you need the encouragement, you need the challenge, and you need the commitment from a loving friend. So don't give up on that. I think the last thing that we kind of really want to point our, our attention towards as we look back at that initial interaction of David and Jonathan is we see something that is like really undergirding their, their friendship. And that's this deep like brotherly love that they have for one another. And it's incredible to, to really look at. And in verse 3, if we look at it again, it says, Jonathan made a solemn pact with David. But then look at why he did it. It says, because he loved him as he loved himself. And my question as I read that over and over again um, this week is, does that type of love exist today between friends? And I want to be careful because I I can't generalize. I I can't say this applies for for all friendships, all relationships. But I also wonder, does it exist today? And and do we truly express this type of love? And I, I would say, not really. There's something that really prevents us from getting to this deep, this intimate kind of of, of relationship with our friends. And honestly, the more that I I pressed into it, the more I began to realize that a lot of it has to do with our view of intimacy. And we have tethered intimacy and romance together. And as a result, we think that we can't have intimacy without it being romantic, weird, or even mushy, right? But until we understand that we can have deep intimate, same-sex friendships without it seeming romantic, there will always be like this emotional line that we never cross, keeping us from experiencing the healthy relational intimacy that God designed us to have within our friendships. Um, Sam Alberry, he wrote a book called uh, Seven Myths About Singleness. It's another one that I highly recommend, Seven Myths About, About Singleness. And he talks about it in his book. 
Listen to what he says. He says, in the West, we have virtually collapsed sex and intimacy into each other. Where you have one, you are assumed to have the other. We can't really conceive of genuine intimacy without its ultimately being sexual. He goes on to say, the sad reality is that there is now a paucity of friendship. For our Western culture and sadly for much of church culture as well, friendship is largely dispensable. When it comes to intimacy, our focus is on the romantic and the marital. But this is all a far, far cry from what the Bible has in mind when it talks about friendship. In summary, what Sam is saying is that you can and you should have meaningful same-sex friendships that involve emotions and intimacy, even outside of your marriage. So I know you're probably thinking there saying, yep, my spouse is my friend. That's great. Guys, you need another godly, Christ-centered man in your life speaking into your life. Women, you need another godly, Christ-centered woman speaking into your life. And some women are like, nah, I'm his only friend that he needs. He don't need no other friends in life. (laughs) No, sis, he needs that. And I promise you, I promise you, he will become a better husband and a better father as a result of that. So I encourage you, I implore you to pray about what that looks like within your marriage. But the more that I ask, like, why does this not exist? The more I, I had a hard time coming up with, with answers. Why do we not cross this emotional line when it comes to um, God-centered same-sex friendships? I don't want to categorize or single anybody out, but I just want to take a moment to talk to, to men in all of our rooms right now. Men, when is the last time you told one of your close male friends, I love you? Don't worry, I'll wait. (laughs) When's the last time you said that and why? I think there's a number of reasons. Like we come up with so many creative ways to express our affections for one another. Peace and love, bro. Power to you, man. More love to you. Don't let us be texting. We'll just hit you with the, the fist pound emoji. We can't, we, we can't, we're so good at coming up with creative ways to express our affections towards one another indirectly that we can't even mouth the words, I love you, to one of our close male friends. And I think there's a number of reasons for that. Maybe you grew up and you didn't hear it from another man in your life. Maybe it is just a little too emotional and weird for you. Or maybe it's the last one. I'm not just talking about men. I'm talking about people in general. Maybe it requires vulnerability. Maybe it requires you to actually expose yourself emotionally to another person. And the thought of that causes you to be guarded and, and closed-minded. And you just rather say, I, I'm, I'm good without that. They, they know I love them. Anybody ever thought of that? They know I love them. My actions show them that I love them. But there is something, man, let me say, there is something powerful about verbally saying to somebody else, man, hey, I love you. And you can say that without it being romantic. And we have to come to this spot where we say, man, I'm willing to get back to what was always meant to be in God's creation story. Remember what Aaron said? He said that before Adam and Eve were husband and wife, they were friends, but they were also naked and they were unashamed. And friendship is this opportunity where we have the opportunity to to be naked and unashamed with somebody else who sees every part about us. True intimate friendships are an invitation to return to what was always meant to be. And in these relationships, we say, hey, man, you cannot hide anything from me. I know you at your best, and I'm with you at your worst. And I'm not going anywhere. Friendship is an opportunity to be fully seen and fully known.
And some of us are hurting and in desperate need for these types of friendships. And if you don't have it, man, I pray that you begin to seek it out because they are so needed. All of us, I don't care who you are, have this deep desire to be fully seen and fully known. And all of us need a friend who is willing to see us for who we really are and love us anyways. So I want to get very practical right now because some of you are just thinking, all right, Kyle, tell me, just tell me what to do. All right, it's great. Thanks for the information. What do I do with this? Well, I think, uh, again, not to generalize, but I think all of us can find ourselves in one of these three camps, depending on where you are relationally. But let's just break each one down. Maybe you are in a season where right now, You just need to pray and you need to prioritize. Pray and prioritize. Maybe that is your action step today. Maybe you're in a season where you're saying, I'm being honest, I I am a little lonely right now. I I don't have any God-honoring, Christ-centered, spirit-led friendships in my life with another guy or another woman. And I just really need uh, to seek that out during this season. And your first step is you pray that God would send those people into your life. But you don't just stop there because they're not just going to come knocking on your door. Uh, You have to put yourself in spaces, which is the prioritized piece. Put yourself in spaces where you can begin to connect with other people and meet some people. If you're here at church, man, a great place to start if you're not connected is in a small group or on a serving team. I can't tell you the amount of people that I meet downtown and like they're they're friends. And I'm like, so how did you guys meet? And they were like, oh, well, we're in group together. Or we used to be in group together, and that group has since dissolved, but we still have this, this cool, deep friendship that, that exists. And I think that is in, incredible. Our environments that exist are meant to not only help you serve other people, but for you to connect with others and walk alongside each other and encourage one another in your walk with Jesus. So maybe that is your first step. Maybe you don't need to pray and prioritize right now. What you need to do is you need to just evaluate. Maybe you have some friendships in your life, but you need to kind of take an honest survey of the quality of those friendships. You need to ask yourself some hard questions. Are my friends leading me closer to Jesus or are they pushing me away from Jesus? Are my friends there for me when I need them or are they only around when they need something from me? Take an honest evaluation of your friendship and maybe, just maybe, maybe this is a season where you need to distance yourself from those relationships for a season And you need to go back to maybe number one and pray and prioritize because God wants to give you something so much more when it comes to relationships in your life. Or maybe you're in a season where you just need to name and nurture. Maybe you are the person that says, Kyle, I have Christ-centered friendships in my life. They push me. They help me look more like Jesus. And I would say that is phenomenal. Name them. Maybe your action step right now is write them down and don't just write down the names. Maybe today you send them a text. Maybe you pick up the phone and you call them. Maybe you speak life into them. You thank them for the friendship that you have. And then you begin to intentionally continue to nurture those relationships, to re-nurture that friendship, to cultivate what it looks like to have healthy friendships in your life because they don't just happen. They don't just maintain themselves. Listen, anything that is not growing is either dead or dying. That can go for friendships. That can go for your marriage. Take that as you, like, you have to be intentional about creating opportunities to nurture those friendships in your life and watch what God does with them. Watch how he allows you to experience what it is like to be in fellowship actually with him because our relationships, our friendships mirror our relationship with God. Find one of those three camps that you might be in and take a step. And, you know, I couldn't help but realize as I was studying for the sermon, the, um, 
the sacrificial and the generous language of verse four in the text. Let's quickly take a look at it. Again, it said, Jonathan sealed the pact by taking off his robe and giving it to David, together with his tunic, sword, bow, and belt. And this doesn't seem like a big deal, but actually it was. Giving his robe and weapons to David wasn't just a a generous gift and it wasn't just a kind gesture. Man, he actually had the right to hold on to these things. I mean, this is significant. If you read um, a couple chapters before this, the Israelites are getting ready to go into battle against the Philistines. And it says that there was a shortage of weapons in Israel. Imagine that. There's a shortage of something back then. And it said that Jonathan and Saul were the only two individuals who had swords. And here we see Jonathan giving up his sword to David, making himself vulnerable and exposing himself. This was huge. He was giving up his weapons to somebody that he just met. But more than that, as I said, Jonathan was next in line to be king traditionally. But David had been appointed by God to be king. And so by Jonathan giving his robe and giving his weapons and giving his clothing to David, he was laying down his right to be king and and giving up something for his friend. He was creating an opportunity for there to be true fellowship and and for Israel to be led. And as I looked at that, man, I was like, man, that has Jesus all over it. That has Jesus all over it. Jesus himself would say he didn't come to be served, but to serve. Jonathan was serving David in this moment by giving of himself. And as Philippians 2 says, Jesus gave up his divine privileges for us by leaving heaven and being born as a human. Jesus voluntarily gave up position and power and took the position of a servant. So much of what Jonathan did for David is a foreshadowing of what Jesus would come to do for us. Jonathan gave up his privileges as future king so David could one day reign over Israel. Jesus gave up his privileges as eternal king so we could one day reign with him forever. Jonathan encouraged David at his darkest moments of life, reminding him of the commitment he made to David. Jesus meets us in our darkest moments of life, reminding us of his commitment and his faithfulness to us. Jonathan put his life on the line so David wouldn't experience death. Jesus laid his life down so that we could experience life. Jonathan sealed his promise to David by giving him his sword. Jesus sealed his promise to us by giving us his spirit. Jonathan knew everything about David and called him friend. Jesus knows everything about you and me, the good and the bad, and still he calls us friend. We serve a God that not only calls us to be in life-giving relationships with others, but truly desires to be in relationship with us, where we can be fully known and fully loved. And I believe somebody here today needs to either hear for the first time or the first time in a long time that no matter what you've done or what has been done to you, no matter what mistakes you've made, no matter who has turned their back on you, no matter who has walked out of your life, no matter how much you have experienced the inconsistency of relationships in your life, man, there is a God who sees you fully, who knows you fully and loves you more than you could ever imagine. And scripture says that there is a a friend that sticks closer than a brother. 
And I want you to know that his name is Jesus. And Jesus would go to a cross and walk out of a grave so you could experience what it is fully like to be seen and known and loved. And you can trust in him today. I think all of us have this opportunity to see how our vertical relationship with God impacts our horizontal relationships, namely our friendships with others. And we can come to this deep, intimate space where we are truly exposing all of who we are, our good and our bad, our flaws and our ups and our downs. And we're saying, I'm going to be constant. I'm going to be committed. I'm going to encourage you and I'm going to challenge you. And more than anything, we're going to create this space where we can be fully seen and fully known. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for who you are. God, in this moment, I pray over the the person who came in here and they're lonely. God, I pray for the person who is experiencing uh, deep depression and deep isolation. I pray for the person that Satan is trying to attack with emotions and feelings of unworthiness or nobody sees them. They're not connected. God, I pray that right now that you remind them that you see them. God, I pray that uh, those of us who do have friendships, Lord, that we will take an honest evaluation of whether those friendships are are helping us look more like you or are are subtly and unconsciously pulling us away from looking like you. And God, I pray that you would give us the boldness to then make a decision to reevaluate and pray that you would send people into our lives. God, we thank you for the, the relationship, the friendship that existed between David and Jonathan and how they had this intimacy that allowed them to be fully seen and fully known. God, would you allow us to not be afraid to cross these emotional lines with another guy or another girl um, in our life so that we can form these intimate, uh, intimate relationships that you have called us to be in. God, remind us of your faithfulness. God, remind us that you are the ultimate friend. God, remind us that you came to us in our darkest moments and that you see us and you promise to never leave us nor forsake us. God, we need you. We need you in our lives right now. We need to be reminded that you have not left, that you are the same God that worked in David and Jonathan's relationship. And you can, uh, you can show up and be present in our friendships right now. So God, I pray that you cover those who are hurting right now. Pray, I cover, pray that you would cover those who need to be reminded of your presence. We thank you, Jesus, for who you are and all you've done. It's in your name we pray. Amen.